This is the 12 Songs of Christmas, today with Aaron McEwen. Alex Rawls and the 12 Songs of Christmas is my pry bar into the way Christmas music and our culture interact. On this not safe for work edition of 12 Songs, I'm giving the people who don't like Christmas their say when I talk to singer and songwriter Aaron McEwen. Aaron has had an interesting and varied career that has touched pop, folk, and Americana bases, but she's not entirely in any camp. She has a theatrical side as well and co-wrote the musical Miss You Like Hell with Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Chiara Alegria Hudas, which opened off-Broadway at the Public Theater in 2018. In 2011, McEwen released Fuck That, a collection of anti-Christmas, anti-holiday songs that also had their origins in the theater. There's more joy in her takedown of Christmas than there is in many pro-Christmas albums, and a lot more wit. Today I'm talking with Erin about the project and about her relationship to Christmas and Christmas music. Then, after that, I want to take a few minutes to focus on singer Lucy Dacus' new version of Wham's Last Christmas. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, Erin McEwen on the 12 Songs of Christmas. So to start, before we get into uh, into Fuck That, and yes, you, we, we are going to say that. This is going to be a Yes. Deep... <laughs> I cannot possibly have a conversation with you about a record called Fuck That and figure out and try to have both of us not say it for 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah, I, I'm opposed to like shortening it to F or the F word. It's, yeah. it's just dumb. Just say it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That uh, you can, in places where you can't say it, you can beat me later. But I, I will not say either of those no. uh, neutered versions of it. I have explained to my daughter that there are home words, and she understands that there are times and places where you can say all the words, including fuck. And so, just school, Perfect. school isn't one of them for a place where six-year-olds get to say fuck. Uh, they got to wait a little <laughs> longer, or they got to earn it. Um, or yeah, they got to be underground about it like we were. So anyway, um, so before we get to that, let's start with, uh, with you with growing up. What was, you know, what was, what was Christmas like for you uh, as a kid? How did you feel about it then? I, you know, um, I remember feeling, it, it's, it's funny because there's no way to, I'm sure you found this with talking to other people about this, there's no way to talk about Christmas music pro or anti without talking about childhood um in some in some way for me christmas growing up was um i grew up in a small town of virginia in a family where you know both my parents and a sibling we all lived in the same house and um upper middle class and you know christmas was um kind of traditional capitalist like holiday of course i didn't have the words for it then but it was like you know i i got some stuff and um, my brother got some stuff and my parents got a little bit of things for each other and we opened it and then we had a dinner and, and that was that was pretty much it. Um, it wasn't until I became, I think, a teenager where I started to, to think of Christmas and, and sort of be aware of other people having Christmas and comparing my family and and thinking like, this is, you know, fake <laughs> in that way that like when you're a teen, when you're a teenager, you, I mean, you think everything's fake when you're a teenager, but, um, but that's when I first remember, remember thinking that's the thing like, well, I don't know, like, wh- why is this day we have to be behaving this way, but the rest of the time we don't behave like this. It just, it, it struck a chord like that when I was a teenager and then, and then that didn't go away. <laughs> right. <laughs> the more, the, the older I got, I've, I've remained feeling like that, um, you know, really until I made this project. But yeah, gr- growing up, it was you know sweet and about getting stuff. And um, I, don't, I don't think I thought twice about it. I mean, I got some got some cool stuff for Christmas. Sure. You know, one thing I wonder. I think about teenageness in connection with Christmas, and 
I know as a kid, I was very happy with Christmas music. I mean, I don't know if I was happier, you know, if it was a particular love, but I also wasn't against it. But I also know that when I became a teenager, that I, you know, I had, I had issues with it. And I realize in retrospect that a big part of it is, you know, in those teenage years is when we're sort of drawing the line between where mom and dad leave off and we begin. And things that are so thoroughly family, like Christmas and Christmas music, become those dividing lines. And that's the place where we start, you know, sort of interrogating it a little more. And in, in part, because interrogating it is a way of starting to draw that line. Does that sound accurate to you? I think you're, that sounds absolutely accurate to me. And I think it's, it's also, um, you know, it's, it's part of what people like about tradition is it's the same thing every year at the same time. And, and that doesn't go well with a teenager, sure. <laughs> you know, yep. who at some point is like this again. Um, and I think I think that was part of what happened for me is it's just like wait we we just do the same thing without thinking about it, um, and and those rituals that maybe for a young family seemed so exciting and new and you know, if you think from a parent perspective like how, how exciting it would be to get to have your own Christmas for the first time in your family how you want to do it but by the time your kids are teenagers you know maybe that maybe that's worn thin but um, it's also that time where yeah I remember thinking like that the gifts that, that I would have given or gotten around that time too, like I wanted them to like really feel like I saw the person I was giving things to and, and I was seen by the person that was, you know what I mean? Like sure. it, it was that heightened sense of like identity. Like <laughs> who am I if I am not my Christmas present? Ah, ah, um, ah, ah. You know, something like that. So I, I think you're right to like locate this, like there's a dissatisfaction that maybe just comes like, with teenagers at Christmas. I mean, I, I have friends who, who did not have negative Christmas experiences ever. Like it, it really remains like a, a sacred and, and sweet and consistent time for that. But I, I just didn't come from a family like that. Right. Yeah. I, I come to this largely positive. I mean, there was times say Christmas music itself. There's a point where as a person who was into, you know, punk rock and into rock and roll that I found basically you know, having all this body of music that was essentially my parents' music and being asked to sign on, that was a hard uh, a hard thing for me to do at that point. But get about five five years on the other side, and I'm back. You know, that uh, once I found Christmas music that would let that I could co-sign, then I got back interested in Christmas music. Um, yeah, it's funny. I don't ever remember even feeling like, and maybe this is just me being like gray haired and old, but I, you know, I don't remember in my teenage years, there, there being an option for any other Christmas music besides my parents' Christmas music. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, um, like in that realm, I don't, I'm not sure that I would have even had, um, I would even known about, you know what I mean? I'm sure there was plenty of Christmas music at that time that I might've been interested in. You know what I mean? It's like, if the Indigo Girls had made a Christmas album, I would have played it. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't, or if Ani DeFranco had a Christmas album, um, which would be pretty funny, actually. Um, I would love to hear it. I, I know. I would, too. Um, and I, my teenage self would have really loved to hear it. Um, but I don't remember feeling like I had, I had any options around that. Yeah, I, I can say. I mean, I'm the same way. I, I, I was just trying to think through, you know, in the mid to late 70s what there would have been and i can't think of anything in there that wasn't a version of mom and dad's music i mean for me the the the, i can draw really a clear line that the winner for me that changed things was uh z records uh out of new york uh it was a label that sort of did comp you know music that kind of drew uh, walked the line between disco, dance club, and uh, uh, punk and new music. And they put out an album called A Christmas Album. And it's the album where it's where uh, the waitress's Christmas rapping uh, first appears. And it also had a Christmas song by Suicide, uh, which is just this great song called Hey Lord that 
it sounds like like a David Lynch Christmas song, um, and it is so superficially depressing, but at the same level, Alan <laughs> Vega's like deep, passionate commitment to what he's singing ultimately means like the song really feels like a prayer. I mean, it may be a prayer from the bottom of the uh, of the boiler room, but there's still, you know, a kind of an op- a kind of a a grim optimism in it. And it had a great song by uh, August Darnell, uh, Kid Creole from Kid Creole and the Coconuts, a great song called Christmas on Riverside Drive. And that ability to sort of that record to take, dan- you know, contemporary dance music, contemporary at the time, dance music and, con- and sounds that were right then and find a way to do, you know, make them about Christmas was able to put Christmas, you know, put 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 people I knew in Christmas songs. I wasn't being asked to like listen to songs about people who I knew were as old as my parents or older, and asked right. to find right. my find my identity in their experiences. <laughs> growing up my parents um i mean there there was literally like maybe 15 lps in in the corner of a cabinet uh that were left over from like none none were uh, later than 1970 probably and um we were not a household that had the radio on or anything like that but i i, I remember you know at christmas music I, there was probably like i feel like there was like an andy williams cassette or something that, that makes sense that we might have put on like when the when the tree was being decorated, it's funny to think about this because I haven't, I haven't really tried to think about it for a while. Um, but also, you know, my, my, uh, my parents were like community chorus people. So when I think of Christmas music, I also think of like the interminable Handel's Messiah concert <laughs> that, <laughs> that had to be, had to be gone to. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, it's funny. I, I guess I, don't, I feel like I wouldn't have been so mad about all of this if I had had other options or known anything was out there. But if I hadn't been so mad about it, then I wouldn't have made fuck that. Exactly so, right. Yeah, there we are. So, yeah, the, um, so how did you, how did fuck that come to be? You know, my, my hatred of Christmas was simmering for years. Um, and as I grew into an adult um, and my time was more my own and I lived, um, you know, I grew up in Virginia, like I said, and then I, I moved to New England for college and basically have stayed around New England since then. And, um, just the, the further I got from my you know family home, the less compelled I felt to, to make a Christmas visit. So that was, that was part of it. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it had just happened in a, in a kind of random way. Some friends of mine, I had um, been in a play with some friends in a, a kind of local theater group here in Western Massachusetts. And, um, they were going to do another play around the holidays. Um, uh, one of the people in the troupe had, had written a kind of farce about Santa being murdered called like Santa side, Santa C I D E. Right. And, um, and it was going to happen at this, uh, you know, beautiful old theater here in uh, Northampton. And um, they thought it'd be really great if I would write some sort of, you know, current or parody kind of Christmas carols to be sung um, before and then at the intermission and, um, you know, giving the, the spirit of the play is a, you know, very light, funny thing, but it is about killing Santa. They, they thought I'd be the right person to do it. 
And um, what happened was that I I wrote I think maybe three three for them that were original that weren't parodies at all. And I just realized this deep well of anger that I had. Huh. And um, the songs just came out so quickly. And um, and I had so much fun writing them. It felt so great to write them. Um, they were just dumb and off the cuff and inappropriate, and it just felt great. And um, so once uh, once I played them for the folks that were putting on the show, this was maybe in July of that year, everybody was like, that's so great. You should make a whole album. And I was like, you know what? I should. And and basically in like less than six weeks, I probably wrote another uh, eight, eight or nine of them, recorded them, and got the whole thing out in November of that year just in time for this you know, production um, and I performed a lot of the songs at the production and had a community chorus. And, um, yeah, that, that's how it happened. It was really like a, a bubbling, uh, anger for years that was then given, nah. you know, uh, a, 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 like a event. And I was surprised at how much I had to say and how quickly, and, um, you know, the whole, the whole project has been like, a really fun catharsis. And to be honest, like I, it really helped. Like I, I just like, no, I don't love Christmas anymore. It's not like that changed, but I also like don't have the like wounded hatred of it that I used to have, which, which to be honest is off putting for so many people. Ah, 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 <laughs> like I would, you know, for years, like people were like, what are you doing for Christmas? And I would be like, rah, 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 rah. Ah, ah, ah. you know, and, um, now with people are like, what are you doing for Christmas? I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have some dinner with some friends. You know, it's, it's just took the, took the sting out of it for me and and again thankfully there's just this record that's a, a great um reminder artifact of that of those years and that time where i just was really mad about it and um and now other people who are mad about it can enjoy it i, I want to come back to the album in just a second but while you were talking about anger i wanted to pick up a thought do you think that being queer was affected your attitude towards it for sure. I mean, I don't, you, Christmas is so much about like iconography and, and I, and I sometimes think like the burden of, of normality. That's how I, I would think about it. And I never saw, um, anything, um, I mean, in culture in general, but certainly Christmas culture, especially when I was growing up, which was the, you know, mid eighties to early nineties that, that would have included anyone who looked like me or, um, a family that, was like what we would now call a queer family. Um, and I think it was a, a sense of alienation from that. And, you know, I may not have had the language at the time. And I certainly like, I don't think I even realized I wasn't, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I realized that I was queer. Um, and again, that's, that's like 2019 language. I don't know what I would have called it in, you know, 1995. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I'm sure that that's part of it. I mean, in a more general sense too, and I think anyone can relate to this queer or not. It was just sort of like, wh why did those families have this thing that I don't have? You know what I mean? Yeah. And some of that came from people I actually knew, and some of that came from these, you know, kind of burdensome icon iconography that we look at. You know, whether it's movies or TV shows or even just like the images on Christmas cards. After Memorial Day, Labor Day, Fourth of July, Easter, President's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Cinco de Mayo, Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day, my birthday, your birthday, everybody's birthday, and Flag Day. My favorite holiday is Christmas. So let's celebrate, take a trip, someplace special, someplace hip, someplace where we can relax and play. I know, let's head home for the holidays. Because at this most painful time of the year, things are bound to get a little queer. Well, hello, it's good to see you, though we wish you'd come alone. But since you brought your friend, it's a very queer Christmas. Let me show you where you stay. Do you see these separate twin beds? One for you and for your friend. It's a very queer Christmas. Well, decorating tree light small before you cut your hair off i'm trying to act natural i'm trying to act natural i've cooked all your favorite foods what do you mean you don't eat meat you're vegetarian and you're gay it's, it's a very queer christmas hope you brought some nicer clothes you should really learn to dress we're expecting you at church it's, it's a very queer christmas, christmas. Well, 
I'll tell you one of the reasons I asked this question is I had a really good conversation a couple of years ago with a woman here in town uh, who records as Kelsey May. And she'd recorded a Christmas song called Marry Me, and it was M-E-R-R-Y. But a part of it was dealing with being a gay woman, and, the, and, and part of it was the challenges of Christmas, because just a kind of at a basic level, that you would, things that you thought were more, were settled or were settled-ish, suddenly became issues at Christmas time, like the fact that neither family quite understood why they wouldn't go their separate ways to go spend her spend Christmas with her family and right. and her and yep. her and her yeah. uh, partner spend Christmas with her family and like and you finally having to like realize partly I'm old enough now to say this is my family but also but the fact is you know having these relationships suddenly force these these moments that you want that you have to deal with that other families don't necessarily have to deal with other couples don't or people are more likely to respect their their relationships right i mean like like who imagines that that christmas is the like catalyst for radical activism you know what i mean right yeah like like are these exposing these these um fissures in the family but i think that's part of what just makes it all the more painful is that um disjunction between this, this again, this burden of this is the time of the happy family, and it's the time when the ways that our families don't understand fall short, are ignorant or hateful. I mean, some people's families are outright hateful about these kind of things that come to come to the fore. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess I always felt that way. Just, just that, yeah, that disjunction, that rub, that that difference between what we think it's supposed to be and what it actually is and not limited to Christmas, but I feel like Christmas is, is almost the strongest example of that, of what we're supposed to feel and then what we actually feel. Right. Well, I'll tell you one of the things I really admire about fuck that, and that I think intentionally or not, you really hit is just how deeply embedded Christmas is in our culture and the fact that you know that it touches it gets into patriotism with Christmas love it or leave it and that it it winds its way you think about all the different sort of areas of american life that songs on the record touch into and whether it's pop culture whether it's sports uh that you know whether getting high that everything in here at some level you know so much of american life does end up in your songs, which is part of why Chris, why I started this in the first place, because I have a, my feeling has always been that the more Christmas-related strings you pull, the more you understand about American culture, not just the holidays, and that this ends up being a pry bar into a lot of sort of American culture questions, and not just about not just Christmas music or Christmas-related culture. I what, love thinking about it that way. I, I can't say that I was uh i can't say that i had all that in my mind but that actually is a really great distillation of what my experience is and it's like like oh well i just hate christmas but then that tells you something about what kind of person i am tells you something about my childhood it probably tells you how i feel about capitalism you probably have a question about my religious beliefs yeah and like you said like um you start to get into these these other things i mean i i i feel like um you know, Christmas might be the perfect, like, um, version of capitalism. You know what I mean? It might be capitalism's perfect child. Sure. <laughs> in, in some, in some way. And so, so then of course that intersects with all, all things in America as well, if you think about it through that lens. But I, I like thinking about it that way. I hadn't, I hadn't put it that way, but that's, I think you're absolutely right. What was the song that first made you laugh when you were writing it for this album? Do you remember? Let me let me look at the. I mean, they. It's, it's funny because they they all make me laugh, and and the way they make me laugh is is different than anything else that I've ever made because they they make me laugh in a, a total like back of the classroom like getting away with something sure like juvenile way you right know? And, yeah and and much of my music that I've made in in all kinds of other ways is is the. Uh, 
more sophisticated, calls on different cultural references, is sort of more intellectual, and and this is just like stupid shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's 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 Mad Magazine. Yeah, totally. Which you know, if you in any other context, if you had, you know, I remember we had Mad Magazine in the house growing up, and I just was like, that's juvenile boy stuff. Right. Um, but this is a whole record of quote unquote juvenile boy stuff. Um, I they all make they all make me laugh in some dumbass way but um i think the first song that i wrote was the the fuck that song and i i think the thing that just made me laugh about it was i knew that you know i knew i was going to have a room full of people shouting fuck that together and that just made me feel so good snow lay fresh on the fields the stars overhead shone bright a more perfect winter's night there never was as i took your hand in mine our children lay sleeping on this christmas eve softest pillows neat their little heads Danced on their brows The sweetest of dreams As we tucked them into their beds Fuck that! Fuck that! Fuck that! Shut the fuck up about Christmas We're tired of all these cliches We don't know what you're talking about So do us a favor Fuck that! the second i think second on the list of like just makes me laugh in a purely personal way is um the song toyland um which of course is my ode to like um sexual pleasure devices ah, set to ah, the tune ah. of victor herbert's toyland right um and uh you know i think the thing that that i like about all of these songs is is maybe they take a second to kind of reveal themselves um with the exception of Christmas Love It or Leave It, which just, just jumps right in with with the uh, absurdity. But um, some of them take a second to reveal themselves. So you listen to Toyland and, and maybe don't realize that it's about dildos um, until you get a little further into it. Or, you know, it's a very queer Christmas. You don't you don't quite get the, the pain of it um, until it gets a little further into the song. And then, of course, Go Tell It on the Mountain, that Carl Rove is born, um, really saves its its best its best loves for, you know, Ricky Henderson and Barbara Mandrell at the end. Right. Yeah. The part of the and, and also and I love the fact that as a part of sort of the world of pop culture is that somebody hearing it today will have to Google two, if not three of those names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely right. But I wonder which ones. You know what I mean? And then and then we're back to Christmas being a lens for understanding everything. Exactly <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Do you, do you know who Carl Rove is? Do you know who Barbara Mandrell is? Do you know who Ricky Henderson is? And if you if you know one of those, the two of those three, whatever it is, tells tells us about maybe how old you are, your political beliefs, where you were raised, yeah. <laughs> what kind of music you like. Yeah. I tell you, I had this is sort of tangential to that, but I remember very clearly it was interesting when reading a uh, going through grad school and having like the Norton anthology of you know British poetry or, or poetry something like that and I remember I want to say it was in Eliot's The Wasteland that the um, editor felt a need to footnote Bessie Smith but didn't feel a need to footnote uh, I can't remember what classical composer but there was a sort of this you know unspoken cultural assumption that of course a reader knows classical music, but that under knowing knowing uh, jazz or knowing blues is a kind of very specific sort of subcultural reference that needs to be explained. <laughs> That's a massive assumption. So yeah, I mean it's it's like a carbon dating. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. It's like it's like what artifacts are left as time goes by. And, you know, I, I haven't listened to Fuck That in a while, um, but I made it in 2011. So you know, there's there's some other pop cultural references in there. I'll have to listen and see and see how they've aged. 
Um, but it also, you know, it's, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's, it's helpful about Christmas music is like it does come around every year and there's some some way that like um it should it should grow with us and it should reflect what's happening in our times I mean there's a, a part of me that um is not interested in Christmas songs under Trump um, right you know but but then um but I do keep a file in my phone I mean I have since 2011 of ideas for volume two ah, so ah, ah. So I do keep I do keep an idea of it. and some of them are topical and some of them are more of these broader broader issues of that you know family and relationships and um you know stuff like that. So do I remember correctly that to write these you had to go and like sort of find a you know find like public domain songs to sort of you know help sort of get ideas going. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah, um there's one song on, and this was a, I mean, again, this is great. Like thinking about like what, what Christmas music opens up for us, copyright issues. Um, I had to learn a few things um, in the course of making this project. Um, I think maybe a third, a third of the songs on, on fuck that are original chords and melody. Um, and then, and then the rest are sort of based on other songs, which, which was important to me because, part of reclaiming Christmas or creating some sort of new version of the holiday that made me feel better meant that I needed to take familiar things and make them unfamiliar or at least like make them juvenile funny. Um, so, uh, every, I learned, I learned after writing it, um, or maybe halfway through writing it, um, that if I parodied something that wasn't in the public domain, um, then I was going to have an issue. I mean, there's a, there's a world, a world where, um, we've heard this talked about before and it's, it's total like tangent of 10 other podcasts, but, but fair use, you know, is a, a statute or an, a, an understanding of, um, our country's laws that says if you are parodying something, um, you have the, you have the right to use it. Um, but it can get tricky. And if someone gets mad about it, it can cost everyone a lot of money. Um, so knowing that, um, you know, there's lots of Christmas songs that are very familiar that are in the public domain and you don't get any copyright issues coming up for it. But one song does have copyright issues. Um, a song called Frozen Smiles, which was a takeoff on the song Silver Bells. Um, and Silver Bells was written by the guys that wrote the Bonanza theme. Cool. I learned and, um, which, which is cool, but also means that even if they aren't alive, their publishers are alive and, um, would, you know, they'd be part of a, a big publishing house, which is always on the lookout for these kind of things. They, they pay people to keep an eye out for these kind of things. So, um, what I did was through my publisher apply to their publisher to get, um, basically like a, a new song made with them as co-writers. And um, and their their publishing company agreed to it. So the song "Frozen Smiles" on my record is half written by the Bonanza guys, and half written by me. And whatever small amounts of money "Frozen Smiles" um, accrues, some of it goes to that publishing company. And um, I just was lucky that I had a publisher that knew how to do that and that spotted it, you know, in time before anything happened. I mean, not not like this record went gangbusters and changed the world, but like I said, you, you really never know where. In this world we live in now, you never know where stuff ends up and who hears what. And um, I mean, I think that's a great use of copyright. Like, I, I think that's, I think the copyright should be for. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's a way to embody remix culture, is to use something and also like embody that use in the financial architecture of the song. Frozen smiles, silent meals. It's Christmas time in my family Awkward hugs, stilted love When will it be New Year's Eve? TV's on and no one's talking I don't even want to know What you're thinking or feeling this Christmas Here's a gift that I just bought you Hope you like it alright If you don't, you'll pretend that you do 
frozen smile. Silent meals. Silent meals. It's Christmas time in my family. Was there kind of a sort of a desire? Let's just you know, let's throw mud in everybody's eye here. Let's just let you know how 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 to how much can I just mess stuff up? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was definitely like a. Um, a childlike sense of delight um, for me for doing this project. I mean, you know, uh, it it could have just stayed the songs that I wrote for this thing that got performed once in Northampton, and it would have been enjoyable to the 800 people or whatever that went to that thing. But but I certainly had a um, a desire again, like I didn't think I knew about to given the opportunity to very publicly say fuck you yeah. <laughs> about Christmas. Um, you know, and, and, and this is, you know, tr- true to my personality and on brand. Like, I think it's like pretty benign and pretty sweet sounding still. Yeah, right. Um, but it is, yeah, this, this is what it looks like when I throw mud. Ah, ah. You know, one of the reasons I ask is I think is because Christmas inspires, you know, a certain, you know, inspires a certain amount of reverence and there is... I've I've talked about this on the podcast before. One of my favorite Christmas albums is Yui Piano Smith's Christmas album, which he recorded, and I th- want to say '57. And and Yui Smith re- realized after like White Christmas and all the sort of the the uh, you know the the Christmas songs of like the late '30s and you know the, and the war years, uh, he realized that these were songs that would continue to sell. And so he decided to make a Christmas album, and it totally rocks and is amazing. And when it came out, he was watching sort of an American Bandstand-type show, and the host of the show took it, said, you know, went to review it and smashed the record and said that this was a travesty to be associating rock and roll with Christmas. And there was enough furor afterwards that Ace Records pulled it and that they said, basically, we can't sell this. And it wasn't until it was reissued in 92 on CD that the album was available. And it is a great sort of chaotic, you know, Yui Piano Smith and the Clowns kind of record. And it's a very New Orleans music, New Orleans party. And, uh, but because people thought, you know, Christmas is untouchable, and you got to keep the stream separate. That it was it was considered to be too much for the moment. I, I'm like defiant by nature, so like the minute you tell me something is untouchable, like I'm going to want to touch it. Um, but I also operate on this principle that you know I I believe in like reverent irreverence. You know, like like it's actually like when you take something so seriously, the way many people do about Christmas that actually you diminish it, you know? Right. Like, there's this way that, like, if your concept of Christmas is, is so small that, like, a rock and roll record is, is unholy or um, causes a furor, um, that's so small, you know what I mean? But if, you're, if your belief and love and view of Christmas is, is so large that it can take in, um, if the umbrella is so big that, like, you know, a rock and roll Christmas album can fit underneath it. And someone making an anti-holiday Christmas album can fit underneath it. Like that to me is like a a more reverent version of what Christmas is trying to do. How does Santa is an asshole fit into that? (laughs) Well, that was, that one came directly from, that one came directly from the show because it was sort of like, you know, Santa uh, is a bad guy in this show. So it was sort of an effort to give him a number um, about, you know, about why, why he would be killed in this, in this particular show. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, Santa as a, Santa as a lens to look at, um, capitalism and pedophilia and other ills in our society makes so much sense to me. (laughs) 
Santa is an asshole, a liar and a thief. Don't know how he gets away with it. Think about it, he's a creep. He creeps into your house at night, makes a holy mess. That is just the start of it. Let me tell you about the rest. Santa promises the children what their parents can't afford. In this day and age of stagnant wage, who can buy the hottest toy? He perpetuates a capitalist system. He's an icon of the right, and he only visits Christians. Why he's an anti-Semite? Santa, how I hate you! And everyone just thinks you're grand. It is my mission to destroy you and expose you as an evil man. Santa's selfish and he's cruel to the reindeer on his sleigh, and he this this cure the way that people can react to something that they they feel like is an attack on their sacred thing or whatever it is they feel about Christmas, uh, the untouchability of Christmas, um, I lost a ton of fans making this project. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I have much better perspective. I think I think we probably talked about this when the project was new um, in 2011, and I didn't have the perspective that I have now, you know, whatever, seven or eight years later. Um, oh, I, I lost tons of fans around this project. Um, and some of them I would say was sort of permanent. Um, I certainly got messages from people that were like, um, this is, this is terrible what you're doing. Um, I'm, you know, bye-bye. Uh, I got some messages from people that are like, I love your music, but I don't like this project. I'm going to sit, I'm going to sit this one out and who who knows if they come back, you know? Um, I did uh, a couple of tours. And I think that might even be why we talked about it in the first place years ago. But I, I did a bunch of tours where um, I would, I think it, the first year it came out, I maybe did 15 shows. And, and the next year I did, maybe the, maybe every other year for a few years, I did like an anti-holiday tour. And um, that first year, um, I remember really clearly, and I would, I would, they were such great shows because I would crowdsource um a choir of cranky carolers. It was really ah, great. There ah, was a way ah, to like ah, sign up for it, and everybody got a hymnal, and um, and they were encouraged to wear like their worst Christmas outfits. And the the photos from these are just outrageous. Like even people who loved Christmas came and had like a, a great time. Um, but in general, like if I if I used to play to three or four hundred people in Seattle when I went for that anti-holiday show, um, literally fifty people came. Wow. You know. And it was a real, it was a real lesson for me. And I, I, I never, never thought about that. I mean, maybe I should have been a better business person and, and thought about it ahead of time. I just wanted to throw mud in the eye because it felt great. And I love these songs and I thought they were funny. Um, but it, it had consequences. Absolutely. For sure. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't, it, that would never have occurred to me. Um, I mean, I, I feel like if if you like my music again, that's like my music has always been sly and interested in poking at different things, and it's and it's never been uh, made to make you comfortable if you listen to it closely. Um, still enjoyable, but there's always been a sort of tension or a tongue in cheekness or some some play around those ideas in my music, and um, so I, I didn't think that this was that far out of the realm of what I was doing before. In fact, it felt like in some ways I would say more me than anything I'd ever made. And, um, you know, it's like, if, it's like, what, what would we talk? If you came over to my house and sat on the porch, like it's, it's fuck that is way more like what our conversation would feel like than, um, you know, maybe my first record or something like that. So, so I thought of it as just becoming more open and more friendly and yeah. Uh, and then it just wasn't like that. Well, and also I think one of the things I, I particularly like about the record is that it's very clear, like as you listen to it, that you know you really understand Christmas music, understand how a lot of it works. And for instance, how many songs are made for are made for, you know, carolers, are made for a bunch of voices. And that, you know, if you were by yourself singing the fuck that chorus, it doesn't have anywhere near the pop or the fun that that <laughs> yeah, it has right. if you've got twenty people, four of which are on key, shouting along with right. you. Correct. 
you know, and that kind yeah. of a lot of the so, a lot of these songs are built to be sort of communal songs, and Christmas music is all communal music. Yeah, in some ways they're like they're they're the most Christmassy music of anything I've ever made. Actually. Yeah, yeah. In that in that sense, you're right about community and joining people in and and speaking about these broad topics, you know, like like uh, you know parenting or. Um, family love or you know things like that i love talking to aaron McEwen, and this year i love listening to lucy dacus version of last christmas originally by wham last christmas is one of the few contemporary songs to become part of the christmas canon this christmas season has also inspired a movie starring amelia clark and each year, a few new covers are recorded. Really, I like the covers better than the original, which always sounds slight and a little petty to me. George Michael sang about his love life like it was a ball on a playground. But I've always liked Taylor Swift's version because her, Michael's schoolyard emotions sound way more credible when she sings them. Here's a little bit of that version. Lucy Dacus does none of that. In her press release announcing the song, she says that she really doesn't like Christmas music, and that ambivalence is clear in her version. She says she told the band to play it angry, and because of that, you get a hard, fast punk version, which suits the song just fine. That's been done, though. What feels fresh is her deadpan recitation of the lyrics and the verses. She sing-speaks them with a hint of theatricality, so that she sounds detached and engaged at the same time. You can hear the front that she wants to put up in the drama that's playing out in the lyrics, but you can also tell that she's more connected to it than she wants to let on. You can hear the same tension play out towards Christmas music, on one hand dismissing it with the deadpan, but still finding some excitement in it in her performance of the cover. You be the judge in what you hear there. Here's Lucy Dacus' version of Last Christmas. That's part of a new EP of seasonal songs that Dacus recorded over the course of the year called 2019. And that brings another episode of 12 Songs to a close. Thanks to Erin McEwen for the time and the talk. You can find her on Facebook, where you can also find me at 12 Songs of Christmas. Stop by and let me know what you think and also how you feel about last Christmas. If you're listening to today's episode on the 12 Songs homepage, I hope you'll find the show at Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify, and subscribe. While there, leave a review if you can. Both of those things will help others find 12 songs. Thanks as usual to AF The Naysayer for the theme music and to you for listening. 
We'll finish today with one more from Aaron McEwen's Fuck That. This is Christmas, Love It or Leave It. Talk to you next week. Oh, you want?